Hey, this is Chris Shelton, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Just to uh, give a couple little notes here before we get into the questions, and we've got quite a few to cover, um, I am sort of in between series right now. I've got a new series of videos that I'm planning on doing that are going to be directly addressing Scientology itself, uh, the actual technology of it, so to speak, uh, similar to the series that I just finished on the academic reviews, except this is going to be directly on uh, Hubbard's works. And so that's going to start, and when that's rolling out, that's going to, that's going to be quite a, uh, quite, a, quite a bit of work for me, actually, to do that. Um, so I've got some other things that I want to get done in between now and starting that series, which are going to be critical thinking type uh, videos that I've been sitting on for a little while because I was doing that other stuff and I'm going to get that out. You saw last week, I hope uh, some of you guys have checked out that video I made on uh, science is not a destructive cult. And uh, there will be another thing, another critical thinking type video coming out this week. But... If you saw my podcast from this week that I just put up yesterday, it was an interview with Steve Hassan, and, uh, and then that was definitely a destructive cult and Scientology related. And uh, this next week will be religion-oriented, but probably going to be a fairly controversial podcast, this, this one coming up. And, uh, but then I've got some other um, more Scientology-themed stuff coming up uh, on the podcast Anyway, and of course, we'll be continuing the zombie idea project. So, uh, you know, no shortage of things to talk about here on this channel. And that's quite something after a couple years of this to suddenly, you know, be blossoming with content. And of course, um, the metering video, it's, you know, moving along very well. In fact, it was just, uh, it was kind of bugged for a little bit. And now it got sort of debugged. So that's going to be uh, happening along with... Um, that Scientology series. So that'll be, that'll be coming out and, uh, and some other stuff too that you guys don't know anything about. So anyway, just wanted to kind of keep you guys in the loop. Also, we're only four weeks away from a live Critical Q&A show. YouTube is really pushing live streaming and uh, good timing. I guess I'm actually a little bit behind the curve on that. But anyway, the 100th episode of Critical Q&A will be a live show on a Sunday morning. And, um, and that'll be through YouTube streaming. So that'll be kind of interesting to see how that rolls out. I'm very curious myself how that's going to go. So anyway, that's only four weeks away. So let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. James Smart, I know you've gone over what happens generally when someone walks into a Scientology org for the first time and that they believe psychiatry is simply out to hurt and take advantage of people. But what would happen if I went there for my Asperger's or ADHD? What would they blame my symptoms on, and what would they do to try and help me? And Minkette, how does the Church of Scientology treat individuals with neurological conditions? For example, autism spectrum disorder. Furthermore, what is your perspective on behaviorally based treatments like applied behavior analysis, which has a huge empirical literature base? All right, when somebody comes into a Scientology, a Church of Scientology, with the idea of getting help or getting uh, auditing or counseling from the church, they're going to generally try to do everything they can to get the person to pay for the services and then get them into uh, an auditing session. 
And if a, if a person were to come in with some kind of neurological disorder like autism, they're probably going to have a hard time servicing that person, although they might try. Um, Hubbard actually wrote in a few places, going all the way back to Dianetics, that people who have neurological conditions uh, can't really be audited or audited smoothly. But he then developed this objective processing, which is touching things and looking at things and moving around and, and uh, looking at stuff in the environment. And that is objective, right? It has to do with the objects of the, of the real world versus subjective, which is, you know, up in your head. A person with autism is going to have a, is going to, you know, the church is going to be a little bit, ooh, hmm, I don't know, in terms of doing subjective processing on them, um, depending on where the person's at on the spectrum, of course, versus, um, you know, how they, they, but they might do some objective auditing and they might even, depending on which church you go to, because there isn't, Hubbard never talked about autism specifically anywhere, as far as I know. And, uh, and I don't, I've never seen any specific church policies or advices on how to deal with somebody who has autism in Scientology. Um, same with ADHD, Asperger's. It's kind of like, well, how far along, where are they at on the spectrum? If the person is, you know, is unable to respond to uh, external stimuli, unable to respond to questioning, something like that, the church is going to go, well, look, there's not really anything we can really do for this person. Um, if the person is somewhat responsive, they might do a whole bunch of that objective auditing, just tons and tons and tons of it, especially in, the, in now, in, uh, in modern times, because the church is already going crazy with you know, giving people hundreds and hundreds of hours of this objective auditing. So that's probably how they would try to deal with it. I know that's how I would have tried to deal with it when I was there. Um, but it would be definitely on a case-by-case -case basis. And now all of this, everything I just said, is tempered by whether the person has had extensive psychiatric treatment or not. Um, church policy used to be that if somebody had extensive psychiatric treatment or psychiatric drugging, um, psychotropics, you know, Ritalin, uh, Prozac, things like that, that they were labeled an illegal PC. The church revised that policy after I left, actually, but somebody sent me a copy of it, and now it's not, they're more open to receiving people who have had psychiatric care. Um, you know, if a person has electric shock, stuff like that, they're still going to be like, mm, no, but you know, if a person, there were so many people coming in who have had, you know, psych psychotropic medications that the church was like, well, you know, we're going to have to change our policies on this, right? Which kind of shows you that they can change their policies when they want to, if it's, you know, denying them some money. Anyway, so, um, so if somebody comes in who has ADHD or Asperger's or whatever, whatever condition, or no condition at all, but they've had extensive psychiatric treatment, there's a chance that they would simply be labeled an illegal PC and, and booted out the door. And uh, then they, or they can, they'll be booted out the door as far as getting any auditing. They can train, right? But somebody with ADHD or Asperger's, you know, might have a bit of a difficult time sitting in a classroom for hours at a point at a time to study L. Ron Hubbard's works. So, you know, it would depend on how capable the person was. Um, and that's, that's about as much as I can say about that. As far as, your, as the question you had about the behavioral um, uh, remedies for autism, 
I don't really know anything about that. So it would be a little bit funny for me to try to go there. I looked up, I looked it up and looked into it, but I am no expert or even, I barely have any exposure to it at all. I talked with a person I know who has an autistic child and she told me that uh, it had been helpful for her child, the, specifically what you were asking about. Um, but that's one person, you know, I, that's, a, that's, that's a sample of one. So I, you know, I, I feel a little uncomfortable talking about, you know, the efficacies of, of uh, autistic treatments, you know, because I don't know that much about it. But I do know that I wouldn't go to a church of Scientology to deal with it. That's for damn sure. So that's what I can say about that. John A., do you think that Hubbard realized that he was a bad filmmaker, or do you think that because of ego, which perhaps all of us have to some extent, he convinced himself that his work was really good? I have absolutely no question that Hubbard thought he was the uh, world's master at film and, uh, and cinematography, uh, because he pretty much said that in his, in his issues and writings. Hubbard uh, claimed one time that uh, he didn't follow trends, he set them. Uh, you know, because he had done a soundtrack for a uh, movie called Man the Unfathomable, which was one of the first films, I think, that, that Gold, uh, Golden Era, which was Hubbard's name for his, you know, the, the film studio that he started in the late 70s, one of the first films they produced was this movie where they shot it with all natural light um, and they used in the soundtrack natural sounds of animals and um, birds and, you know, bees and stuff like that. And Hubbard uh, got some special recording equipment and music equipment to be able to play these sounds, right? And then this was used, uh, you know, in a couple different places. And Hubbard bragged about how he, you know, had, had created that, uh, which he hadn't. Um, so that was, but that was his attitude, right? He was very narcissistic and he was very, he had a, you know, a megalomania going on. So it was more than just a regular person's ego or pride. Hubbard was, had a very exaggerated sense of, of his own value and importance. So as far as the films go, absolutely. He thought he knew more than anybody else. And he wrote issues, which have never really seen the light of day outside the Church of Scientology, uh, I, I've actually only seen one or two of them. I th yeah, like one or two. He wrote what were called um, cine eds, cine for cin cinema, for gold, uh, where he wrote about color and lighting and, and camera work and how to do all this stuff. And, you know, I don't know where Hubbard learned any of that stuff. I mean, he was around some film studios in the 40s, but, you know, was, <laughs> Hubbard was no... Uh, film school graduate, and he was certainly no Spielberg, right? I mean, the, 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 the films that Hubbard directed uh, were laughably horrible. I mean, horrible. So, and we, we had to sit and watch these things over and over and over again within the church because they were training films. They were meant to demonstrate Scientology principles and how to do Scientology auditing. And, you know, and Hubbard had directed them himself. Most of those films got remade uh, over the years, and the and the old films got you know sort of sort of done away with. So uh, anyway, that was Hubbard's view on films and uh, and pretty much everything that he did, you know. So there you go. Andy Lesser, do you have any recollection of the Church of Scientology ever apologizing for or subtly hinting that they were wrong about anything? 
I assume the answer is no, but any example, even really tiny examples, would be interesting. No, actually not. Um, and, you know, and, and of course the answer is no. Um, but this is, the, you know, just, I, don't, I wanted to comment on this because this is not only a point of, of destructive cults in general, right? Because this is a characteristic or attribute of, of most destructive cults is it's never the cult leader or the cult itself or its methods or dogma or actions that are wrong. It's the individuals who are complaining about it that are always wrong. They've not, they've strayed from the true path. They've lost their faith. They've, you know, in Scientology, they've committed overts, right? Or whatever, they've done wrongdoings. This is a hallmark of cult thinking and cult practice. But Scientology really takes this to an extreme. And it's most easily demonstrated by the way that they deal with critics in the media through their, you know, hate websites and, and always attack, never defend. I mean, this was Hubbard policy, so it's, it, is, it is written into the DNA of Scientology to never, ever, ever apologize, um, admit error, admit something wrong. Now, within the world of Scientology, I can say that, um, you know, they do have a refund policy. People have gotten refunds from the church. So I guess in that sense, the church will sort of admit to some level of wrongdoing because per church policies and whatnot, you know, it's always supposed to work on everybody all the time except criminals, right? Um, but they don't always paint people with the criminal brush who leave quietly, get their refund, go on their way. You know, this, it's not always like every single person who that happens to is, is automatically castigated and, and declared a suppressive person and you know, it's not, it's not quite like that. There's a bit more humanity to it in some cases. Other cases, man, you know, they get the door. They can't have the, the door hit the guy, you know, on the back hard enough when he's, when he's walking out. So, it, it's a, again, it's a case-by-case thing, but I have seen that. So I thought I'd, thought I'd comment on that, that that's, that might be a way that you could interpret the church, you know, admitting some wrong uh, by giving money back. But as far as them saying or ever putting in writing or ever telling the person, yeah, we screwed up, you know, not really, not really. I would admit wrongdoing, as a per- personally as a Scientologist, when I was getting people back into the fold who had blown or taken off, right? I was recovering them back into Scientology. And I would admit uh, that somebody had screwed up but it was the individual who had screwed up, not Scientology. And there was a distinction made on that, that that person had not done Scientology properly. And that's why, you know, like, like an auditor or a course supervisor or some executive had misapplied Scientology on this person. And that's why the person had taken off, right? That's why they were upset. And I would say, hey, yeah, you're upset because somebody screwed up. But that's, that's not saying Scientology is wrong. That's saying this person, you know, and we're going to correct this guy and we're going to get that handled. And we're going to get this dealt with because you deserve standard good Scientology, right? So, uh, and I got a lot of people back in, you know, with that strategy, with that tactic. So, um, so I think that's, you know, about the, about the closest that Scientology comes to admitting error, um, but if somebody, you know, like, like, would they admit any error with me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Absolutely not, right? Uh, if you're a former member or something, it's all on you. So.
Cranky Cribbits. I understand that when you found out the truth about LRH, you started your way out. My question is, are there many high up in the organization that know what a liar and hypocrite he actually was, and does it not bother them that they are following this dingbat? How can they honestly serve a man that has the wool pulled over everyone's eyes, or when they do learn these things, are they more than not likely to leave? No, that's when people leave. Within the Church of Scientology, there isn't anybody who thinks or knows that Hubbard is a you know, flaming pathological liar or that the whole thing is a con job. That's why they stay with it. And again, this is, this is common to all destructive cults. The cult leader or leaders, the guys at the very, very top, may suspect or know uh, that they're pulling a con or they may have fallen for their own BS, right? Which is what, Hub- which ha- what happened to Hubbard. Um, and I'll talk about, there's another question later about David Miscavige on this point, but, uh, so I won't get into it in answering this question. But uh, all the Sea Org members, you know, below David Miscavige, all the Scientologists are convinced that Scientology is at least 51% right is at least, you know, is, is, is all about helping people, good things, saving the world, you know, accomplishing its goals of ridding the world of crime, insanity, and war. And, they, and they've, they've fallen for that, hook, line, and sinker. It's when they find out that Hubbard, you know, didn't graduate college, had multiple wives at the same time, uh, you know, was involved in, in black magic occult work, I mean, they start, you know, didn't have war wounds. I mean, they start finding out all these, all these lies and the foundation starts to crumble because that's the foundation that Scientology is built on is L. Ron Hubbard's character and integrity and that he was a genius and a researcher, extraordinaire and philosopher. And he has, you know, brought this magnificent, you know, methodology of saving people to the world. So when they start finding out that that's not that way, and that, you know, the money that's being given to Scientology is all going to enrich one guy, that's when they take off. 2M squared 2. I have an acquaintance who is now a Scientologist. She became involved in the church a few years ago, right after her last parent passed away, and came into a significant inheritance. She bought a big house on the lake, and shortly after that, she was contacted by Scientology. Do they actually try to seek out people who have deep pockets? If so, to what lengths do they go to find these people? Yes, absolutely they do. Scientology is a money-making scam, so it needs money. It needs to find people who have money. And it specifically does not go after people who don't have a whole lot of money or can't get a loan or credit or mortgage or something like that. Um, You know, that's why the beginning levels are cheap, but as you, you know, pretty quickly, once you get involved, you're paying out, you know, shelling out thousands of bucks and then eventually tens of thousands. Um, so they want people who are well off and have a lot of money. It's for the, you know, as they say in Scientology, Scientology is uh, to help the able become more able, right? Able, of course, meaning you have money. So um, in terms of how do they find these people, well, they, they look for them through the friends and family and contacts of existing Scientologists, which is why they pay commissions to Scientologists to bring in their friends and family to get them onto, you know, the bridge, onto services. Uh, they pay, I think it's a 10% commission for every service this person buys. And they, they have a system set up where 
if I, you know, Joe Scientologist, bring in my friend Bill, and Bill starts on a course, I get 10% of what he paid. Now, when he finishes that course, I'm there with the church salesperson to get him to sign up again. And I get another 10%. And as long as he's continually on service, whether I'm there to help or not, as long as he goes from one course or service to another course or service, I'm getting 10% of what he's paying to the church. And so that encourages me as a Scientologist to bring in people who are qualified, i.e. they have money, to sign up for services and stay on service. Uh, because if this person finishes, let's say he does course one, course two, course three, and then goes, okay, I want to take a break, and he leaves, and now the church needs to get him back, well, if they get him back, you're not going to get 10% anymore because he, he left. So it's continuous service. So it's in your best interest as a Scientologist, if you want that 10%, to keep your you know hooks on that guy and make sure he continues on and that he's happy with his services and that sort of thing. So... That's kind of how that happens. Raindog308. In Going Clear, the question is raised if David Miscavige is a true believer. The answer in the documentary was that he has to be because it's all he's ever known and his entire life is integrated into the church. From what I have read in critics' books, LRH was constantly auditing himself and raving about body thetans, so to some extent he was a true believer as well, though obviously both men are sociopathic charlatans. Do you agree with this view on Miscavige? And second, do you think it explains why there's been no more OT material released? Last cover story I heard was that all orgs had to be the size of the old St. Hill org, which is obviously never going to happen, hence no pressure to release. If Miscavige truly believes LRH was a visionary, then perhaps he's reluctant to release anything Hubbard didn't author. Otherwise, writing a few more levels worth of bad science fiction and checklists wouldn't be that hard, and he could continue to herd sheep up the bridge. Yeah, this has been a tough question, because I've actually gone a little back and forth on this, but I've maintained the idea that Miscavige, uh, more so than not, I've maintained the idea um, that he is not really a full true believer in Scientology. And I think that's because of his material excesses, and because he doesn't use Scientology and he doesn't follow Scientology principles in what he does in dealing with his juniors and dealing with the organization as a whole. Uh, for example, he does not enforce that, his, that the Sea Org members go up the Scientology bridge. Now, if it's, and, and this is fairly simple logic, if if you believed in Scientology and you believed that by going up this bridge to total freedom and becoming OT, that you were going to have a group of people, if you got all those people moved up the levels all the way to the top, that you were going to have an army of super beings, right, available to you, and they were at your beck and call to do what you wanted them to do in applying Scientology and bringing Scientology to the world. If you believed in that, then wouldn't it make sense that the most core group of people, the hardcore 24-7 full-time workers that you had under you, wouldn't they be the first people that you would be working to get up that bridge and you know, man up your orgs, work uh, for the cause, because they'd be super beings and they'd be so much more 
uh, causative and able and, and uh, you know, unable to make things happen, right? Because science, let's face it, Scientology is a pretty small group. And if they're going to achieve their goals of clearing the planet, they need to get a move on, right? So that would be the, one of the first things you would do. And it's well within all of Hubbard's policies and writings to do exactly what I just described. Hubbard was all about get people up the bridge, including our staff. So the fact that Miscavige has been putting huge roadblocks in the way of getting people up this bridge indicates to me that he doesn't believe in it. He doesn't believe in the cause. He doesn't believe in the technology or its workful or its you know how much it works on people. Uh, and you know now now another explanation for what I just described could be that he's such a you know has such a sociopathic personality um, you know that he doesn't want people getting better and we already know that that's the case um, because they would be a threat to him right so he might believe in Scientology he might believe it's all true but he's purposefully keeping everybody down and holding the whole thing back because he's afraid of everybody of them coming after him that's an alternative explanation as well, which, which works. Um, I think either way, you end up with a situation where Scientology is dying, not thriving, uh, because to a great deal, because uh, you know, its leadership is, is just flat out bananas. So, uh, so I don't know, maybe, maybe in a way the question is moot. You know, maybe it really doesn't matter whether he believes in it or not. I have heard from uh, Mike Rinder and, and other people who worked with Miscavige directly that he does believe in it, that he was, you know, like definitely afraid of body thetans jumping onto him from other people and stuff. And I kind of thought, well, all right, you know, so, so that's what kind of got me thinking maybe it's choice number two that I just described, right, as to why he's holding the whole thing back. I don't know. In the end, um, since I never really interacted with him personally enough to really be able to answer the question, everything I'm saying about it is pretty much conjecture, but that's the best conjecture I can give you. It is time for Flash Answers. Logamug. I'm interested in reading some of Hubbard's pulp and science fiction. However, I'm worried that if I buy anything from Galaxy Press, they will then pass on that information and I will get harassed and spammed by pushy Scientology members. Is this a legitimate concern? Yeah, absolutely. Of course it's a legitimate concern. Galaxy Press is manned by Sea Org members and it's part of the Church of Scientology as far as for all intents and purposes. It might be corporately separate, but when you have an organization that's manned by Sea Org members only, of, you know, they're all Scientologists. They don't, they're not going to care about the, you know, your privacy or the fact that you're not interested in Scientology, as far as they're concerned, Galaxy Press exists for one purpose only, to make new Scientologists. Through, you know, uh, Hubbard's works, Hubbard's fiction works, which will get people interested in his nonfiction works. So, yeah, stay away from that. If you, I mean, Hubbard's fiction is, is crap, but if you want to read it, go to a used bookstore or go check out the books at the library. Don't, don't buy from Galaxy Press and contribute to Scientology. Angel K. I was wondering, since Scientology infiltrated the government, would the government be able to infiltrate Scientology? Couldn't the feds just walk in a church and join up? Scientology just sees people as money and free labor anyway. How would they know? 
Yeah, they did. The feds have infiltrated Scientology back from the in the fifties and sixties. Uh, they did that, and this is this is uh, you know no big secret. And they that's how they you know contributed to their big files on Scientology. Um, and we're not talking about you know tons and tons of people. They just sent some guys in and infiltrated the groups, just like the FBI did with Martin Luther King Jr. and the Black Panthers and. Uh, you know, Malcolm X's groups and I mean anything any group they think is subversive or is trying to You know undermine American values or or violate the law uh, The FBI sends guys in there. So, you know kind of already done and Scientology by the way has all kinds of questions and things They ask people who come into Scientology not on day one But when you start doing the bigger services they have an interview that they will do with you where they'll going to try to weed out people who are connected with the government or work for the government or have any relations with the government in any way because Scientology is pretty paranoid about that. Patrick Kitt. In many of your videos, Scientology's communications course is described by your guests as a great course that has helped them improve their communication skills. Even you look back on it as a course that benefited you and clearly resonates today with your current career in creating these videos. My question is, can someone just get involved just enough to take this course? Is it offered as a one-off? If so, would it be wise to do it with a group not associated with the church, or would one get the most benefit from the way the course is given by the church? I know you can't get just a little bit pregnant, and I would be worried to give them any information, but you and your guests seem to really praise this particular course, or should I just stay as far away as I can? Yeah, you really need to stay away from Scientology. I'm telling you, the pros are not outweighed by the cons. Of this of, of getting yourself involved in this group once you are on Scientology's mailing list you are never ever ever coming off and they will hound you for years once you've done even a single course even bought a book at a swap meet uh, you know there's no end to Scientology's desperation for new members and they will hound you and uh, there's just so many stories about that right and having done it myself I know how desperate they are. They, they're just, you know, they're just not going to give up. That alone should keep you out of a Scientology organization just permanently. But the other thing, and I've made this point many, many times, is the communications course, while it is interesting and it does have um, drills that, you know, teach you to look at somebody in the eye and be able to, you know, confront somebody, meaning you can face them, and be able to direct a communication to somebody so that you can be heard and listen and acknowledge people you know, when, they're, when they're communicating to you. There are other communications classes out there you can take where you can learn these kind of skills without all the weirdness. And also, you don't, you know, you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you're sitting there for you know, hours at a time staring at somebody else because that puts you in a trance state. It's not a good place to be. So I can't in any way endorse that you go do a Scientology communications course. People get benefits from all kinds of things. That doesn't mean that the thing they got some benefit from is something that you want to have anything to do with, right? So that's my bottom line on Scientology is stay away from it. Because once you get in there, they are never, ever going to forget you. And I don't think that's a... That's a I think that's the group you want to have your name connected with that way. Okay, and we are done for this week. I hope that these answers were useful and helpful and uh, interesting for everybody. 
Um, please leave any uh, comments, feedback, questions in the comments section below. I do see everything, even if I, and oftentimes I'll give it a little, little thumbs up, you know, a little click or something, and I try to answer, uh, you know, communications as best I can. I, just, I get quite a few of them. Um, but I do see almost everything, so, uh, so please don't hesitate to give me your feedback or your commentary. And also consider uh, joining me on my Patreon page because that is important for the continuing work that I'm doing here. I've got, like I said, all kinds of plans of all kinds of videos and things that I want to put out uh, this year. And of course, I've got you know, a whole you know, book or two still to write, but it really is your support that enables me to do that because I do have other sources of income that I have to go to and, and spend my time doing right now because, you know, I'm, I'm making some part of my living doing this job, but it's not paying all the bills, right? And I would really like to be able to dedicate myself full-time to this work so that I can get more of it done for you guys. So that's my pitch. Uh, Patreon.com slash Chris Shelton. Link is below. And I encourage you to please join me with that or use the blue donate button and uh, throw some love my way. That all being said, thanks a lot for coming around and I will see you guys next week.